the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And you can take a seat. This is Good Friday, but I think they've stolen the, I don't know, modern like day has stolen it because this is actually Black Friday. This was the darkest day. This was, even in my, my mom's words and Michelle's words and praying for today, there's a talk of darkness. There's a talk of transformation from darkness to light. And as I was meditating on this, on Jesus' death, reading through, and it's like, what? What are the sayings of the cross should we talk about? What, are the, what is standing out? And that's the fact that it was darkness. There was, it was dark for three hours. From 12 o'clock till about 3 o'clock, it's, there was darkness before he, he gave up his last, before he committed his body to, to the Father. And meditating on that darkness, what, is, what comes to mind when, when you think about darkness? What's... What do you guys think of when you think about darkness? What comes to mind? And for me, some song lyrics came to mind and I was, the message Warren, and I'm like, I'm not sure if it's the best thing to be doing, preparing a preach and think, like listening to Iron Maiden, Fear of the Dark. And <laughs> it's like, you've got this, like people walking around thinking, actually, it's such a conundrum. That like song, it's supposed to be these like intense, hard rockers and they're singing about like being afraid of the dark. And it's like, yeah, two years afraid of the dark. Is anyone ever afraid of the dark? And it's like, rightly so. You don't know what's hiding in the dark. You don't know what's there. There's uncertainty. There's, there's sometimes pain. There's suffering. The darkness becomes a, a symbol and has always been a symbol throughout human history of evil, of sin, of uncertainty, of the unknown, of pain, of suffering. There, there's something about that picture of darkness and then I was thinking more and hello darkness my old friend <laughs> anyone know where they come from <laughs> so, yeah that's from the sound of silence written by Paul Simon about 1964 in response to just the pain and the brokenness that was around them there was there was like turmoil there's political tension around the world there was a similar time to this and he wrote this this song it says, hello darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk to you again. 
because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. In less restless dreams, I walked alone, narrow streets of cobblestone. Neath the halo of a streetlight, I turned my collar to the cold and damp when my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light that split the night and touched the sound of silence. And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never share, and no one dared disturb the sound of silence. Fools, said I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. And the people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made. And the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming. And the sign said, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls. And whispered in the sounds of silence. It's like you read that and it seems just inspired. It's like what makes a good song? What makes a song resonate from 1964 till today that you know it just by the first line there is something brilliant about the song because it touches and it resonates with truth far deeper than what paul simon could have come up with because it touches into our longing for a better world and that darkness and the silence and he's writing it saying i see people talking but i don't see people listening i see people writing stuff And I was listening to it while I was walking through a shopping center yesterday and I could see just the screams that were written on people's faces. And they're walking and their their face and their eyes are telling a story and they can't communicate it to anybody because nobody knows and nobody understands and nobody sees and nobody understands the darkness and the pain and the hurt that I'm going through. And then this song was popularized again by a band called Disturbed in 2015. And they completely changed almost the tone of the song because in Simon and Garfunkel's version, the whole point is like the middle verse where it's like, ah, 10,000 people are talking, but we're not listening. We just need to have conversations. We just need to hear. And if we can just hear the people that are talking in the subways and in the tenement halls and in the like low-priced housing, and it's like if we listen to them, we'll actually understand and we'll get somewhere. But I think disturbed, like actually changed the focus to the end of the song where it like built up to this crescendo of like actually talking is not going to get us there you don't realize you've made your own gods and because of that you are lost and it's like their whole band name is disturbed like i think they are completely lost but communicated truth in their lostness because they were just honest and real and it became this massive hit again So if we look at darkness as a, as a theme throughout Scripture, we see it repeatedly. We've got it in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the night from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. But there's a a picture in that, this symbolic picture of darkness there. But then God's hovering in the darkness and speaking light. And he's speaking life. 
and he starts speaking into the darkness. And then in Exodus 10, where Jesus or God comes onto the scene to set his people free. So stories of the, the plagues, and we get to the ninth plague, and then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So for three days in Egypt, it was darkness. But that's the ninth plague before the tenth, where the firstborn son dies. And as they shelter under the blood of the lamb, the Israelites are set free. And anybody that actually took shelter under the blood of the lamb was set free. And there was a, just a picture of God stepping in and using darkness to overcome, to, to reveal like God's power, he used darkness. And then that reminded me of somebody else that uses darkness. Raka, this is for you, my boy. So if you have dark darkness and night, what does it remind you of? The dark night. <laughs> and in The Dark Night Rises, there's, there's a saying, one of the guys, he stands there and he's like, ah, you think darkness is your ally. It's like, it's where, where Bane is fighting against Batman. And he's getting into this big fight and he, he, he darkens it out because he thinks that he's got an advantage. But Bane, he's like, ah, you think darkness is your ally, but you, were merely, you merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see light until I was already a man. By then, it was nothing to me but blinding. The shadows betray you because they belong to me. And there's a picture in that where Batman, in this story, it's fictional, I know, but there's truth in it where as a child he fell down a well and there's this picture where he's lost and he's cold and he's alone and more terrifying, the bats come out and it, was, it becomes his greatest fear because he's completely alone. It's darkness. There's no way to get back to the light and he's just there on his own. No one can hear him. There's silence. So it's like even if you scream, it's still silent. And he uses this pain and this like fear to, to mold him and then he uses that as like a weapon. So he takes something that's evil and like dark, fear and brokenness and pain and darkness, and he uses it as a weapon. And then it gets, he gets found out because he comes up against somebody else that's actually stronger in those things. And there's, yeah, there's a temptation to try and use like things that are unhealthy, that use things that are powerful, but it's not the ways of Christ. There's a temptation in our lives to actually use things because ugh, I'll do it because at least it, it achieves something. But no, God wants to actually purify us and transform our lives and our hearts. So we'll use like the right intentions. We'll use the right methods to actually achieve what we want to. My mom reminded me of another verse, Exodus 20. After God has set the Israelites free, they're now at Mount Sinai and he's just given them They've heard God speak from the top of the mountain and give them the Ten Commandments. 
And then it says this, Exodus 20 verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpets and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us we, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The people stood far off, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So sometimes God is actually in the darkness, in the place that we fear the most, in the place that we're trying to avoid, in the parts of ourselves, the parts of our personalities, the parts of our life, that it's like it seems like it's the darkest but sometimes we actually need to draw near to God in that moment because God is going to use that to speak to us. And then, especially for Quibus, I, I was tempted to just read this entire chapter, but it would have taken at least an hour. It's from the novel The Brothers Karamazov. If you've read it, it's Dostoevsky written about 1880 so it's like a fictional character that's literally like it's a, like this novel that he's written so it's a fictional novel about a fictional character that in, in in the story this character is writing a fictional poem about jesus coming back and jesus coming back in the time of the spanish inquisition and where the, the church is the dominant power they have grabbed the, the, the power of the state, they have used it and they, they're starting to abuse it. And Jesus steps into this situation and it says, He came softly, unobserved, and yet, strange to say, everyone recognized Him. The people are irresistibly drawn to Him. They surround Him. They flock about Him, follow Him. He moves silently in their midst with a gentle smile of infinite compassion. The sun of love burns in His heart. Light and power shine from His eyes and their radiance shed on the people, stirs their hearts with responsive love. The procession halts. The coffin is laid on the steps at his feet. He looks with compassion and his lips once more softly pronounce, Maiden, arise. And the maiden arises. The little girl sits up in the coffin and looks around, smiling with open, wondered eyes, holding a bunch of white roses they'd put in her hand. There are cries, sobs, confusion among the people. And at that moment, the cardinal himself, the grand inquisitor, passes by the cathedral. He is an old man, almost 90, tall and erect, with a withered face and sunken eyes in which there is still a gleam of light. He is not dressed in his gorgeous cardinal robes as he was the day before when he was burning the enemies of the Roman church. At this moment, he is wearing his coarse old monk's cassock. He sees everything. He sees them set the coffin down at his feet. He sees the child rise up and his face darkens. He knits his thick gray brows and his eyes gleam with a sinister fire. He holds out his fingers and bids the guards take him. And such is his power. So completely are the people cowed into submission and trembling obedience to him that the crowd immediately makes way for the guards. And in the midst of death-like silence, they lay hands on him and lead him away. The crowd instantly bows down to the earth like one man before the old inquisitor. He blesses the people in silence and passes on. The guards lead their prisoner to the, clo to the close, gloomy vaulted prison in the ancient palace of the Holy Inquisition.
and shut him in. In writing this entire chapter, this is just literally, that's a brief little excerpt from it. But it tells the story of Jesus coming back. And in a time where the, the church is on the rise and the dominant power and the church is upset because Jesus comes back, because they lose their power, because it came back in a way they didn't want and they didn't expect. And I read that because what would it look like if Jesus came back today? Like we, we think, ah, if he came back in glory and power and just like sorted everything out, like the kingdom, like we imagine, we'd be on board with it. But what if he came back in the same way that he came the first time? Because so often we're looking at it and saying, Jesus, where are you in my life? Because you haven't done this and you haven't done that and you haven't done that. The Inquisitor ends up having this long conversation with Jesus in the prison. And he's basically saying, the reason why we had to do this was because you didn't do what you were supposed to the first time. When the enemy came to you with all the temptation to actually display yourself in like miraculous power and mystery and authority, you didn't do it. But we did it. Look at us. We are the dominant power. We're changing the world. Everybody comes to us. Everybody listens to us. And there's this, this desire inside of us to actually have that sort of power. And it's so easy for us to, to look and like we read the story and it's like, ah, we would never be like that. But the same crowd that worshipped Jesus coming in saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, like worthy are you, God, is the same crowd that was saying, no, crucify him. Because actually... He's going to disrupt our entire way of life. What if Jesus wants to up, like, disrupt your entire way of life? We're happy to come to him and say, like, God, fix everything. But when he challenges us to partner with him and to actually to give up that or to forgive here or to forgive there or to, to lay that down, are we willing to actually partner with him? And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The way of Christ is also the way that we are called to live. And when he was dying, what came out of him was scripture. What came out of him was Psalm 22. Because in the darkness that he was facing, he was facing a darkness where it's like he was, he was crying and God was not there. It's like, God, you seem to have forsaken me. You're not answering my prayer. He's crying like Paul Simon, like, who wrote that song. He would kind of go into his bathroom and he'd put the water on and he'd drown out the world and he'd turn the lights off so that he could get alone. Jesus was almost in a situation like that where he got himself alone and he's crying out to God. But God doesn't seem to be answering him like he's used to. So he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers entrusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame displaying a heart of psalm 119 where your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path when it's darkness your word is what guides me when i know god's word when i know what god is like even in the darkness i have a light that's guiding me and i was reminded of david's story where he takes a, a census and 
like he, he gets the option almost of what his punishment's going to be. Because there's debate on what, why the census was so bad, but part of it was he, he was focusing on world's ways. In a similar way, the Inquisitor was condemning Jesus. It's like, no, but you've got to just grab hold of power. Do things in the right way. If you just do church in the right way, then, then we'll get, get the power. If we just grab hold of the political power, it's like this wrestle all over the world where it's like, no, we need to stand up and we need, we need to claim what's right. And David was trying to do that by like his own strength. He was trying to force the kingdom. And the, the prophet comes to him and says, actually, God's not pleased with you or with Israel. And I'm going to give you three options. One, you can either have three years of famine or you can have three months of war. Or you can have three days of basically like pestilence of God coming and bringing judgment. And David says, I would rather entrust myself to God. So like the three it just seems to run through it. There's three years or three months or three days. It's just like there's three days of darkness to set the Israelites free and three hours of darkness before Jesus passes away. But David says, let us fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hands of man. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when you're in the darkest dark, when you're in the night, when you don't understand where to go, when you don't understand what God is doing, when you don't understand what's happening in your life, you can actually put on the light of Scripture. He can lead you and you can entrust yourself to God. You can actually say, God, I trust you. Mom reminded me of a, a preach I did a couple of years ago on the morning star where it says Jesus is actually the morning star. Where at the end of a dark night, we can look and we can just look far enough and you can actually see Jesus as that glimpse of light. Where even when it seems like life is not going the way you want, he can be the morning star. Or in Malachi 4, it's the last book in the, like in the Old Testament where it's almost the darkest time where he's saying, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise, shall rise, and healing in its wings. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So throughout Scripture, there's this contrast between darkness and light. And what are the ways we're going to use? What are the ways that God is going to use to set people free? And there's, there's times where it seems like God's exhausted the powers of this world by saying, I can display in power how powerful I am. I can destroy all the gods of Egypt. I'm far more powerful than them. But actually, it's going to take the death of the firstborn and the sacrifice of a lamb and sheltering under it to truly set you free. It's towards the end of the, the chapter in the Inquisitor, the Grand Inquisitor Dostoevsky writes this, When the Inquisitor had ceased 
speaking. He waited some time for his prisoner to answer. He's gone on and on and on and saying like, this is why you are trapped here. This is why we are better than you. This is why our ways are better than your ways. Because it's, if you do it my way, we'll set people free. If you do it my way, we'll change the world. And Jesus is silent. His silence weighed down upon him. He saw that the prisoner had listened intently all the time, looking gently in his face and evidently not wishing to reply. The old man longed for him to say something, however bitter and terrible. But he suddenly approached the old man in silence and softly kissed him on his bloodless aged lips. That was all his answer. The old man shuddered. His lips moved. He went to the door, opened it and said to him, go, come no more. Come not at all. Never, never. And he led him out into the dark alleys, out of the prison. The prisoner went away and the old, and the old man, the kiss glows in his heart, but the old man adheres to his own ideas. It's like there's not this neat bow of resolution, but the tension that's there confronts us where it's like, man, I so want my life to go this way. And that becomes a wrestle with God of saying, no, no, but you, you don't understand. You've got to do it our way. And that's us taking that place of the inquisitor. It's like, actually, God, you haven't done what I would like you to do in my life. Or there's the opposite side of actually trusting him. Where it's like, actually, can we embrace the ways of Christ? Which was actually what led him to, to the darkness. But not just to the darkness, it's through the darkness. And the light did not overcome it. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This might seem like a, a strange Good Friday preach, but... If we go back to just the words and the sound of silence. Fools, said I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. It's like Batman at the, the bottom of the well trying to take the pain and use it and just, I don't want to let go of this pain. I'm going to use it to motivate me so that I, it can empower me so that I can destroy other people. It's like use the, the hurt that you receive from people. It's like it's made me strong. It's like actually no, that strength coming from that will betray you because it is not the way that leads to life. We have to let go of the hurts. We have to let go of the pain. We have to let go of the darkness and stare directly into that darkness and that abyss until we see the light at the end of the tunnel. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does, uh, and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world.
praying for today and trying to figure out like how do I communicate this because last week we had the picture of God on his throne just imagine God on his throne holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty like this God that we can't even approach and we just want to fall down and say I'm not worthy and then we've also got the picture of God just walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve and there's a picture of that God that's holy on his throne wants to actually walk with you and then today we've got a picture of Jesus walking in the garden of Gethsemane and praying and trying to get alone and trying to find his place of silence and saying, hello darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again because the vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Like there's, there's a vision of life and there's a vision of what he needs to go through and he's crying out but there's just silence. In restless dreams I walked alone, narrow streets of cobble, so near the, neath the halo of a street lamp. I turned my collar to the cold and damp when my eyes were stared by the flash of a neon light that split the night and touched the sound of silence. And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never share and no one dared disturb the sound of silence. Fools, said I, you do not know silence like a cancer grows hear my words that i might teach you take my arms that i might reach you but my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence and the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they'd made and the silence flashed its warning in the words that it was forming and the sign said the words of the prophet are written on the subway halls and tenement halls and whispered in the sounds of silence I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, but I do not come into the judge of the world, but to save the world. Jesus came and endured and he pierced through and he looked into and he endured the darkness and the silence. And he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But with a loud cry, he entrusted himself to the Father. On our behalf. That's what turns the darkness of what should be Black Friday into Good Friday. We're going to take communion now. Father God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would, we would see how you have endured the darkness and the pain and the, the forsakenness for us. Pray that even now as the kids are hearing that they would understand that you endured this for us, for our benefit. So that actually we can come to you, we can listen to you, we can, we can come to you when it's, it's dark in our lives. We can come to you when there's darkness in those that we love. We can come to you when there's darkness in the world around us. Because you want to set us free. You want to bring freedom. And in three days time we will see the fullness of that. In Jesus' name.